Even in slumber, Hunter knew he would never be the same again. In all his years of flying, and he was widely regarded as the best fighter pilot ever, nothing had matched that 22-minute ascent through the cloud layer above Florida, across the Atlantic, and eventually into orbit. The Zahn, a crude cookie-cutter copy of the old American space shuttle, bucked and bronked the whole way up. At one point, it was shaking so badly, Hunter and the others had clasped hands, so sure were they that the Zahn was about to break apart in the upper reaches of the atmosphere and kill them all. But somehow, the spacecraft had held together and attained the magical speed of 17,500 miles per hour, or roughly seven miles a second, the velocity needed to break out of the Earth's gravity. And it had deposited them here, shaken, into orbit, safe and in one piece. There was a mission up here for them to fulfill, and a desperate one at that. The supercriminal, world-feared terrorist Victor II was up here somewhere, too. This was his space shuttle they were flying, captured in a spectacular battle on the South China Sea island of Lolita, where Hunter, through many machinations and twists, had forced it to land. Hunter had been chasing Victor II for many months now, ever since the super-terrorist had ignited separate wars in the Pacific, Southeast Asia, and the Mediterranean. Hunter was determined to catch the devilish-looking war criminal and put an end to his reign of terror once and for all. He had even gone so far as to vow to kill Victor II with his bare hands if he had to. It was a promise he was still intending to keep. The catastrophic world war, which had put the earth into its present chaotic position, was now five years past. From the ashes, a new kind of pursuit of freedom had arisen. Not the old, cobbled-together, illusory freedom that politicians had bandied about in the years leading up to World War III. No, this was real freedom, real liberty, politician-free. Worldwide freedom, individual-driven, based on the concept that all men were created equal and therefore should be treated that way. Might they sink or swim, do good or bad? This new concept was at the heart of the determination of Hunter and his allies of the United American Armed Forces— it had taken them four long years to rid the U.S. continent of those who had imposed an unequal peace at the cessation of hostilities of the last great war. Gone now for the most part were the left-wing terrorists, the far-right white supremacist armies, the Nazis, the organized crime families, the air pirates, the greedy opportunists, the agents of disinformation and discord, all of them taken on and defeated by the United Americans, all of them now on the outside looking in. In the last year or so, the United Americans had found themselves fighting offshore, first on some of the very same Pacific islands where their great-grandfathers had fought during World War II, and then in the haunted jungles of Vietnam, where their grandfathers and fathers had also spilled blood. Now they were in outer space, doing the same thing. More than any other, it was Hawk Hunter who had led the forces of freedom in these campaigns, and it was he who was at the helm of this new expeditionary force. As with much of his life, times of great joy were frequently spliced into times of great peril. He loved flying in space, yet he was here to find and eliminate the world's most dangerous criminal. He loved the freedom from gravity, the total unshackling of Earth, yet he'd left behind two very personal entanglements. One was named Chloe, the other was named Dominique. It was perhaps not so ironic anymore that his relationship with Dominique had started in the cold, dark aftermath of World War III. He'd met her during his long, lonely march back across Europe, once the fighting had ceased, staying with her in an abandoned farmhouse before moving on, eventually getting back to the States and having her walk back into his life again soon afterward. Beautiful, blonde, erotic, and widely lusted after, they had been together ever since, 
unmarried and with no children, but bonded by real love and the passion of the times. Dominique was now at their farm on Cape Cod, the place called Skyfire, waiting, he supposed, as she always did, for him to finally return home for good. That had been Hunter's dream, too, that all of the fighting and wars and intrigue would finally be over with, and he could simply go home and be with the woman he loved. At least, that had been his dream before he'd met Chloe. This had happened barely a few months ago, while he was making his way through the Swiss Alps in search of a key tracking station being used by Victor II and the orbiting Zahn spacecraft. That Chloe was naked when he first set eyes on her, bathing in the frigid waters of an alpine lake near St. Moritz, only increased the magnitude of the lightning bolt that struck him that day. The way she was, what she believed, it filled him up inside so much he'd been tempted just to quit the whole hero business and settle down with her right then and there. But duty called, and she became entangled, and he wound up rescuing her from the clutches of Victor's minions, and together they had tracked down Lolita Island, the last possible landing site for the Zahn, thus forcing the climactic battle which gave the United Americans a working space shuttle, but not the prize they were after, Victor II himself. Now, for the first time in his life, Hunter was torn between two women, both beautiful, both smart, both patient, both willing to be with him for the rest of their lives, and neither one knew about the other, yet. No wonder he liked it so much in space. Hawk woke up to find the still-sleeping form of Elvis Q floating by him. One of the original United Americans, Elvis Q had just escaped several years of captivity by Victor's allies, a time during which he'd been brainwashed and taught how to fly the Zahn spacecraft. Now that he was back in the fold, he was probably the most rabid Victor hater among them all, if that was possible. Also on board and floating nearby were Jim Cook of the Elite Jaws Special Ops Unit and Frank Garacci of the famous NJ-104 Combat Engineers. Both were close allies of Hunter. The only ones awake up on the flight deck at the moment were J.T. Toomey and Benoit, two of Hunter's oldest friends. Hunter had been asleep for only an hour or so when his deep inner sense told him to wake up. The same extrasensory perceptive ability that made him the premier fighter pilot of his day worked when he was out of the cockpit as well. Now a vibration rising up inside him told him he had to get up, get alert. Trouble was on the way. Sure enough, the intercom inside the crew compartment came on not two seconds later. Flight deck to Hunter, JT's voice crackled. You'd better get up here, Hawk, old boy, on the triple. It was a short float up from the crew compartment to the flight deck of the Zahn. The urgent call from JT woke them all. Now, as Hunter bounced his way up to the flight compartment, Elvis, Cook, and Garachi were right on his heels. What have you got? Hunter asked, floating up into the left side commander's seat. Maybe trouble, JT replied. Maybe with a capital T. He was pointing to an object that appeared to be about 20 miles straight ahead of them. It was white and twinkling, indicating that it was tumbling. That showed up on the radar about two minutes ago, Ben explained from the makeshift navigator station. So, Hunter asked, we've seen a lot of junk up here. But the computer says this particular piece wasn't there when we came around last time, Ben replied. Wasn't anywhere near here. I checked the radar's memory. It's a new object. You mean something that's been launched since we went around the last time? Elvis asked. Ben could only shrug. Maybe. Hunter pulled out the shuttle's extremely powerful biscopes, a kind of computer-driven set of binoculars. He got the tumbling object within his sights and tried to study it. It appeared to be a piece of space trash, one of many thousands of objects floating around above the planet, the result of nearly 50 years of Earth-launched space flights. 
This particular object was bothering Hunter. It had taken a marathon pre-flight session to figure out the Zahn's rather primitive guidance computers and then link them up in such a way that they could keep track of the spacecraft's orbital path and avoid any collisions. Up here, the tiniest screw spinning free from a deteriorating piece of space junk could prove fatal to something as big as the Zahn. Colliding with the object Hunter now had in the biscopes would prove catastrophic. The reason they were up here was to apprehend Victor II and drag him back to Earth for trial and, hopefully, execution. When they realized he was not on the Zahn when it was forced to land on Lolita Island, that left only one place he could still be, inside the old Russian-built Mir space station, a frequent destination of Victor's previous orbital flights. Something inside Hunter's brain was buzzing, and it had to do with this mysterious object which had suddenly appeared in their vicinity. Hunter's psyche began vibrating madly. Jesus, he was just able to whisper. An instant later, the tumbling object blew up. It was an amazing sight for about three seconds. The explosion went off as if in slow motion, a bright flash and then a billowing cloud of flame shooting out in all directions. There was no sound, but a concussion hit the Zahn a few moments later. It shook the spacecraft from one end to the other. And then it was gone. The flash, the flame, the sharp jolt. All that remained was the cloud of white specks. And that was the problem. Before Hunter even knew it, he was deep into the pilot seat and pushing buttons madly. He unlocked the Zahn's main systems from the GPS-2 computer, essentially putting the shuttle into manual control. Then he voice commanded the steering jets to prepare to be lit. Then he lit them. Suddenly the Zahn flipped on its side, which in the directionless environs of space meant it had changed its position relative to the Earth. Hunter hit the steering jets again. The Zahn began moving sideways, shuddering in protest at the violent action. Hunter hit the steering jets a third time. Now the Zahn was suddenly on its tail and vibrating even worse than before. Throughout all this, the other crew members...